Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Hey, man, you can have a seat. Come on. Come on. This isn't hype. This is holy. The king is in the room, and there is no other response but praise. Amen? There is no other appropriate response this morning than praise. Oh my goodness, he is so good, he is so faithful, he is so worthy. And friends, I am just, uh, I'm kind of ravished this morning, I'm kind of wrecked, I'm kind of ruined, I'm kind of uh, disturbed this morning in a glorious way because I'm telling you, a time is coming, friends, when you and I, we will, we will taste a drink that we can no longer deny and we will realize that our human earthly efforts of worship, of offering, of continuing to show up and pour ourselves out, that it's never been enough, not because our works aren't enough, no, because he is so much more worthy than anything this side of eternity that we could ever offer him. He is worthy of so much more. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Who just wants to give Jesus everything possible this morning? I got five people that want to give Jesus everything possible this morning. Come on. He is worthy and he is faithful and I promise you, one day you will be dissatisfied with religion. One day you will be dissatisfied with West Michigan way of Christianity. And we will take a drink together that we can no longer deny. And we will walk in a glorious outcome that only comes with his presence. Amen? It's where we're going. It's who we are. It's what we are selling our lives for. Amen? Come on. Well, this morning, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, yes, I'm Pastor Matt. My wife, Adrian and I, we're the lead pastors here at Takeover Church. And uh, it's good to have you here. Yes, I'm a wild man, and uh, you'll get used to it, or you won't, later. But it's going to be a good morning, because it's not about you, and it's not about me, it's all about him, amen? We're going to keep it that way. We're going to keep it about him. This morning, we are continuing our stewardship of the prophetic word over this house for a year. I don't know what your uh, understanding, your, your background in church is, and maybe this has been new to you, but we as a church, we are setting apart 365 days this entire year, not to move beyond, not to shift focus, not to have this series or this series or this focus or that thing, but we are remaining steadfast on Luke 12, 49 through 50, the heart of Jesus, the whole entire reason that he came was to cast fire upon the earth he said he would have if it was kindled. He has a baptism of fire that he longs and is in distress to baptize his people. He's looking to establish himself in the earth, a burning kingdom, a burning people, a burning body, and a burning bride. In this house, you and me, we are committed to answering that call. Amen? It's who we are. It's what we are giving our lives for. And so this morning, we are continuing in just that in our fire upon the earth. So if you're taking notes, where are my note takers at? Get your notes out. Get ready to abuse them. We're going in this morning. This morning, we are coming out of both 1 Kings uh, 17 and 1 Kings 18. So turn to 1 Kings 17. We're going to hit verse 1. Then we're going to move on to 1 Kings 18. But the title of my message, if you're taking notes, are you ready? The title of my sermon this morning is, Wet the Altar for the Fire. Wet the altar for the fire. Wet the altar for the fire. Now we're going to get into our B-I-B-L-E. It is the book for me and for you and especially your neighbor. First Kings 17, 1. Here we go. We're going to dip our toe in there and then we're going to crush through First Kings 18. Here we go. 
1 Kings 17, 1, it'll also be up on the Sky Bible. And can you guys give it up for Kelsey and Phil holding it down in the booth for us this morning? Unsung heroes, keeps everything on track, and they catch all my spelling errors from the songs that I personally entered into. Don't act like you didn't catch might one this morning. I certainly did. I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. All right. 1 Kings 17.1, here we go. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishabee in Galilee said to Ahab, are you ready? As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Fantastic, Elijah. 1 Kings 18, we're gonna hit 20 through 39. Here we go. So Ahab went to all of the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him with the word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. As you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, well, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first for you. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given to them and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal for the morning until noon saying, Oh Baal, answer us, answer us, O Baal. But there was no voice, no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to mock them saying, Cry aloud for he is God, right? Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Yes, Elijah made a pee joke. It's phenomenal. I love this man. And they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their customs with the swords and lances and until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation but there was no voice no one answered and no one paid attention then Elijah said to all the people come near to me these are not the prophets these are these are onlookers come near to me and all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying Israel shall be your name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar as great would contain two seas kind of, of seed, and he put the wood in order to cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. Then they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And he said, water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that what I have done, all these things that are in your word. Answer me, O Lord. 
Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are in fact God and that you have turned their hearts back. When the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And in the original language, it said, the Lord is Yahweh. Somebody say, the Lord is is Yahweh come on and then obviously they slaughtered the prophets of Baal and it's a great story but we're gonna pray and we're gonna open up that sound good Let's pray. Come on, Lord Jesus. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. We love you. We love you. It is the absolute honor and privilege of our lives to be counted among your sons, to be counted among your daughters, God, to be called into friendship with you, to be called into co-laboring with you, God, to have a divine purpose for our life, God, that goes beyond our history, that goes beyond generational curses, that goes beyond the people and the places that we've been and we come from, God, but you have restored us and borne us anew, a new creation in you the old is gone the new has come and so Lord God today I pray Lord that we would walk in the newness of life that we've been raised to in Christ Jesus that today Lord Jesus we honor what you've done your robe has touched this room we've had an experience with you today that we cannot deny so Lord I ask while you're here, while we have garnered your attention God while we have ministered to your heart first and foremost Holy Spirit would you lift our eyes back to Jesus? This morning, Holy Spirit, would you highlight the areas in us that still look unlike Lord Jesus? Would you remove the veil, the delusions of our lives if we have it all together, we've arrived in some capacity, and would you take us back to the humility and the lowliness that is exalted on high in heaven and show us, God, Show us what we as individuals and a collective church body, what we look like as Jesus. And I pray that you would release us into that. Father, we love you. Have your way today. Holy Spirit, you have the throttle. You are the only one in which we yield to. Take us where you long to bring us, God. We yield to you alone. And as we do, we'll get out the way and give Jesus all the glory. A faithful church said, amen. Come on, wet the altar for fire. Wet the altar for fire. And you know your boy likes three, and I keep saying it. Wet the altar for the fire. Man, as we were going into this season and as we were going into this year, really, it's, I was asking the Lord, what do, you, what do you want to do? How do you want to spend the summer? And he said, teach my people to pray. But truly, this, this phrase has been stuck in my head. It's been something I've repeatedly said throughout different moments in service. It's been things that I've spoken to with some of our guys on our leadership team. It's, it's really been the chief aim of my life for 2023, this phrase, wet the altar. I've been ruined by it. I've been maddened by it. It's been something that has distressed me and left me in distraught because I'm being told by God that there is something for us when we begin to wet the altar for him when we begin to wet the altar from him and I'll prove it to you you see on Mondays I'm here and I'm also the janitor so be kind take care of your trash and uh, I won't be praying against you you know <laughs> kidding kind of but on Mondays my my uh, my intern who's not with us today uh, young Micah and, and Zach they are both uh, 
off on assignment this morning in Bay Shore at basketball camp. And I got to tell you what, the last three years they've gone, the Lord has showed up. He's delivered from demons. He's healed the sick and he has been doing incredible things every single year. And we're just praying another greater portion today. Amen. Starts this week. We are after it there. We are after it. So they're on assignment. Be praying with them. But Mike and I, he's my intern and we're here cleaning on Mondays and it's not without purpose. It's always with intention. We will, we will clean and then we pray. And we wet the altar. We come before here in this moment. And even on a Monday where it's just two of us alone in this auditorium, we get down on our hands and feet and we begin to weep before the Lord and intercede in prayer for you, for our city, for our region, for our nation, for our people, for our Lord to come and do what only we know he can. That is raise and restore this city and this region. Amen. And so much so that it goes beyond Monday. In fact, we have something called Sons of Thunder here once a month right now. It's called, it's for the men's ministry here at Takeover Church. And if you're unfamiliar with this, you should get involved if you're a guy. But here's what we do. We do not let a single Sons of Thunder meeting pass without coming down here and wetting the altar. We don't let it happen. It is purpose. It is in designed in that. I have talked with Pastor Evan. I've talked with prayer leader Grant. And we have decided and commissioned that we will spend an appropriate amount of time digging into the scriptures in the upper room. But before we leave this house, we will wet this altar with tears again. In fact, every single service that we have, every single thing that we do, prayer meetings, Friday mornings, Sunday services, Wednesday ignite nights or worship nights or prayer nights, whatever we get into here, we encourage what? Altar time. Altar time. We open the altar week in and week out. There's altar time. There's an altar call. And we just say, come and get on your face before the Lord. You come, you get on your knees. You come and you lay on your face. You come and you cry out to our God because I believe it, friends. There is a call in the earth right now where the deep in us calls out to the deep in him and he answers. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? Could you imagine where the depths of us, the cries of us, the groans of us, if they called out to God and he says, my depths call out to your depths and our depths cry out to him. And he actually answered with the, dip, with the depths of his heart, with the depths of his cry. Imagine what your life would look like. Imagine what our church would look like. Imagine what this ministry, your ministry, what it would look like if you cried from the depths of your soul. And you received in response from the depths of God. Can you imagine his presence, his power, his fire, the reality of him in this space and in this place? What you and I would begin to look like, but not what we just begin to look like, but who we would begin to host who we would begin to steward, who we would begin to just be had the pleasure and the honor of experiencing. We have an omnipresent God who is literally everywhere. But we have a God who has a deep longing to dwell somewhere. Will we be that house? Will we be those Christians? Will we be that son? Will we be that daughter? Will we be that friend? Will we be that intercessor? Will we be the body of Christ, his bride? That while he is omnipresence everywhere, this is the house where he chooses to dwell. Will we be 
that house? Will we be these people? Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I am telling you, there are depths in you that we need to begin to make available to God. There is a wedding of the altar that he is calling this house, this generation into right now that we cannot bypass and we cannot abdicate to the next generation. We cannot abdicate it to the next generation that's on its way up. The church before us has abdicated its voice in private long enough that we no longer have a respectable voice in public. We have abdicated the secret place. We have left it for the next generation. And now here you I, here you and I, are attempting to build again a temple for God instead of a synagogue for man. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. A synagogue is simply for instruction, simply for equipping. Temple is for worshiping. Temple is for ministering. Temple is for equipping the saints in the glory of God. Not just around and about the glory of God. See, where the Jewish people lost the plot a long time ago before Jesus came on the scene is we traded out temple ministry for synagogue instruction. And we turned the meeting place, the meeting tent of Moses, the tabernacle of David, the temple of Solomon, we turned it into a place where suddenly the preaching is the main event instead of our high priest Jesus being the main event. Friends, I am not this morning's headliner, he is. And in case you are in a very prideful place right now, you are not the headliner this morning either, he is. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. Friends, there is a call in the earth right now. If you look prophetically, prophetically, you look across the bride right now, those that are awake, not those that are asleep, not those that are being seeker friendly, who all they do is attempt to get people in the door, but never equip them and prepare for them what is about to come into the door. I'm talking about those that are houses of fire where he dwells. There is a groan, there is a cry, there is a death bleeding groan that is coming from the bride right now that is screaming, wet the altar again. And how do we do that? It's called the place of prayer. It's called the place of prayer. It's called the secret place. It's called intimacy. It's called getting before God where no one else is around and crying out to him and making not just your petitions and your wants and your desires known, but giving and relenting the depths of your soul to him. And in return, he does the same. See, friends, listen, listen, listen. We can look at the life of Elijah, and we're about to, and we can look at the entire scripture, the entire narrative that God has been writing in the earth for the last 5,000 to 6,000 years, depending on what scholar you listen to. He's been writing a grand narrative with the human story. And in that narrative, there are many things that are true, obviously. But the one that is the truest thing for you and I in this season that we are going to build our lives upon, that we are going to burn upon, that we are going to go after with absolute unrelenting fever is that God is moved by the gift of tears. God is moved by the gift of tears. There is something, not emotionalism, not emotional manipulation, 
not all these hot button topics that we're seeing on all the deconstruction TikTokers and we'll just call it what it is. They got a lot of hurt that they ain't dealt with and that's giving them a loser mentality. I really wanna call them losers. I'm trying not to. See how I did that? I'm not talking about these things that so much of our apostasies have left the church and are whining about on social media, crying into the void that somebody else with hurt would also validate their hurt. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about, friends, is that from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God is moved by a gift of tears that God is moved when we begin to wet the altar by him, with him, for him. When we, Parker, pour ourselves out before him, even a young man like you, don't discount that, man. Don't discount that. You, as a young man, a representative of Gen Z, you will move your city. You will move Grand Valley. You will move all of the things that you are involved in because you will be the sole representative of heaven wherever you go to Gen Z. But you got to get the gift of tears, man. You got to learn how to cry before God. And I'm not just talking again. This isn't, this isn't some emasculating other hot button words today. This is the real raw Christianity where you know he is the answer to every longing that you have that you know that he is the answer to every longing the world has, that your classmates, your college mates, your workmates, your parents, that everyone you associate with and experience in this life has, he is the answer. And we're gonna be a church that establishes an altar for him of the prayer room, of intimacy, of secret place ministry. Because friends, we live in a time and place, if we're being honest, we all live in a time and, a time and place where we want this public demonstration of power, right? We're all moved by that. We're all moved by a public demonstration of power. And I long to see public demonstrations of power. I mean, there is a place one day where takeover we will find in the heart of God where you and I are in agreement that we don't need four songs that are just the right way to emotionally manipulate us into the glory or what we think is the glory, but we'll all arrive at a place where we are mature enough in Jesus and we go, I doesn't even matter if a key gets played or a string gets strummed or a voice goes up into the heavens. He is here, we are here, and we are going to bow before him. We're gonna arrive at this place one day and we're gonna see men and women alike fall on their faces. We're gonna see children soaking the altar with their tears, crying out for their generation, crying out for their kindergarten class, crying out for what the Lord is able to do and desires to do in the earth. We're gonna see Colombians crying out for an outpour of heaven in their country. We're gonna see Julie and Luke Erickson go back to Thailand and cry out for a move of God and an outpouring above Thailand. We're gonna see these things in the earth in the days to come but we will not see them if we live and exist for simply public demonstration of power alone. Because I'm telling you this, God rewards private invitations before he gives you public demonstrations. God rewards private invitations 
before he rewards you with public demonstrations. I am telling you, God is so much more interested. Listen, listen, listen. God is so much more interested in building big people than unleashing a big movement. Are you hearing me this morning? God is far more interested in establishing for himself big people rather than just a fresh outpouring of a big movement. Because the reality is you're going to look at me and you're going to go, Pastor Matt, couldn't God just snap his finger, bat an eye, and wink and nod at the earth, and all of a sudden, all of the wickedness, all of the debauchery, all of the sexual immorality, all of the things that are going on, couldn't he just snap his fingers and Pride Month would cease to exist, and suddenly Joe Biden would be out the White House, and all of a sudden, we would have all of the glorious things that Christians and conservatives and all of us long to live for in the earth, right? Couldn't he just do it at a snap of a finger? The answer is yes, he could, but he's not interested in that. Isn't that interesting? God's not actually interested in solving all of the world's problems. God is interested in building big people over one big moment. Why? Because God isn't betrothed to big moments. God is betrothed to big people. God isn't married in other language. He isn't married to a big moment. He's married to big people. He's married to a burning bride. He is coming for a strong, beautiful bride that is not intimidated by the world around her, but is infatuated with the king above her. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Is there anybody in here who doesn't want to be intimidated by the world around you, but you want to be infatuated by the king above you? Come on, praise Jesus. Go, go, praise him, praise him. It's who he is. And I'm telling you right now, now is the time for the invitation to come back into the secret place with God. If you look prophetically across the nations right now, churches that are awake, churches that are not satisfied with simply getting people in the door, but are willing to go to the depths of God to prepare people for what is about to come to their front door. These churches, this church, our house, and the ones that we are in company with, friends. We are awake, we are not asleep, we will not abdicate our voice in public discourse. Instead, we will build our voice in private with the audience of one. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? This is who we are, this is where we're going. I hate so much that the church's voice has been just absolutely tossed out in the public discourse, in the public square but it's because the church has tossed out the voice of God in the private place, in the secret place. I am telling you, there are big moments in the heart of God, but God isn't interested in simply big moments. He wants to establish for himself big people, hear me today, young people, old people. He wants to establish for himself big people that can steward, foster, host, and grow big moments into big movements. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. He wants big people, young and old alike, children and seasoned saints alike, freshly saved and been with God since the beginning of God. He is looking for you and I to be developed and grown into, yes, you, Christina, yes, you, into big men and women of God that won't just exist for the big moments but can be entrusted with a big moment because they will foster and they will host and they will steward and they will ultimately grow it into a massive move of God. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. We gotta learn to wet the altar. We have gotta learn to wet the altar again. 
I'm telling you, there are wells that A.A. Allen, Jack Cole, Catherine Coleman, Paul and Shannon Dotery, Smith Wigglesworth, men and women of God who've seen moves of God, who fostered and held moves of God. And I'm telling you, before they ever had a shout in the public square, they were hearing whispers in private prayer closets. And that same altar, that same place, that same dwelling is available to you and me. And in fact, what this has anything to do with Elijah today is that Elijah is a man that we should model ourselves after. Well, Pastor Matt, we should model ourselves over anybody but Jesus, okay? If you have attempted to model yourself after Jesus, let me ask you, how's your prayer life? How's your intimacy? Do you have a prayer life or do you have a life of prayer? Where have you gotten to? What do you look like? Do you look a lot like Jesus? Let's just be honest. I think for a lot of Christians, we set ourselves to chase and pursue the things of Jesus and I'm all for that, absolutely. However, I think a lot of us, we abdicate the responsibility to grow. We forfeit it because we see Jesus as this unattainable place, the sovereignty that he has, who he is as both God the man and God the son at the same time. And so we actually allow ourselves to lower the standard of our lives because we think we'll never reach that. Well, you certainly won't with that attitude. And it's not so much about you reaching it as it is God consecrating you, God moving you, God shifting you and changing you. And how does he do that? Oh, in his presence. And where's his presence? It's in church. It's in the private place. It's in the secret place. It's at our Friday prayer mornings. It is that our boys and babes crew abide in, in Sons of Thunder. It's at community nights and prayer nights and worship nights. This is his plan. You cannot be consecrated and set apart by God if you are never with God. I appreciate anybody this morning. We're gonna give ourselves the wedding, the altar. So much so, hear me today. I love Elijah because Elijah is described by James, the brother of Jesus in the book of James chapter five. He says, Elijah was a man like you and me. Again, this is the brother of Jesus who didn't even believe Jesus was the Messiah or the Savior until he was resurrected. He saw him die and then he saw him rise and he had to see the scars to prove it. He was like, yep, I guess my brother is in fact God, right? So he's a guy that we should probably listen to on a bunch of things, amen? And so James, he says in James 5, he says this, Elijah, he's a man like you and I. He was but a man like you and I, but he prayed. And he didn't just pray, he prayed loud, audacious, ridiculous, implausible and impossible outside the will of God. Prayers that if God didn't answer, it wouldn't happen. But James says this, he says, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective as they are working. And so for you and I, I wanna hone in this morning on this man, Elijah, because there are gonna be some things in his story here in a moment that we're gonna dig into and we're gonna realize, you know what? I can obtain a level of intimacy with the Lord that I can be faithful with the private invitations from the Lord that will by, by, uh, by productly, that's not the word I wanna use, but will, will pour into a public representation and demonstration of his power. Listen to me. 
if you want to continue to live for just moments with God, go for it. This will not be the church for you. If you want to live with every moment being inundated, taken over by God, this is the church for you. Because here's the deal. We see Elijah, 1 Kings 17, 1. Amazing, amazing. The first thing we see Elijah is about, it says that Elijah prayed and he shut the heavens. He prayed that there would be no rain and he shuts the heavens. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. Pause. This is insane. This is insane. This is a big moment. This is a public demonstration of God's power. This is absolutely incredible. But this is actually the genesis of Elijah's story. This is the genesis of Elijah's ministry. In fact, we have zero zilch nada recordings of anything involving Elijah before this very moment. In fact, the first thing we see is so often what everyone glorifies and highlights and believes is the defining moment of Elijah's life. But I'm here to tell you this morning, shutting the heavens and not permitting rain for three and a half years is not the defining moment of Elijah's life. Because what preceded this? No. What came before this? Let's go with that one. What came before this was what? Decades? Years? Months? Days? Hours? And minutes? And seconds? And milliseconds? Of personal intimacy with God. You see, you'll get famous in the earth with one big move of God, but you get favor in heaven when you're faced with private invitations from God. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You will become infamous in all of the earth for one big, two big, few big moments of God, but you will gain the friendship of the King of heaven by remaining faithful to private invitations with him. You see Elijah in this moment, this isn't the defining moment of his life, at least not in the eyes of the one who counts. You see, we all look at this and we go, he's the one who shut the heavens. Look at this man of God. Look at the power upon his life. And we long to live and we long to covet the highlight reel of Elijah. But what most of us fail to realize are the decades, the years, the months, the days, the weeks, the moments, the seconds, the minutes where he was faithful in private invitations with the Lord. And let me tell you this, this is a big glorious moment. He shut the heavens. A man of God in communion with God, he shut the heavens. Amazing. But that wasn't actually the first miracle that happened through or on or with Elijah's life. The first miracle that happened in and around and with Elijah's life was that a man was faithful to meet with God in private while no one was looking. 
that while the secret place moments didn't profit him anything in the public discourse or the public square, it profited him everything in the throne room of heaven. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Do you see where I'm going with this this morning? Do you see what I am attempting to get us to realize that there is a cry again in the earth for the Elijahs to rise up in this hour and be less concerned with the big moments of God because they will come but they won't come unless you are faithful with the private invitations from God. You see, here's the deal about private invitations. Here's the deal about daily encounters with God. Here's the deal about meeting with him in secret places. Here we have an extreme, glorious, and powerful moment. But it rode in off the back of faithfulness to hidden, obscure, lonely, often feeling unseen, often feeling unheard, often feeling like, what is this profiting me? Often hearing, is God even real because I'm not getting anything this morning? Often off the backside of inglorious moments that aren't always the most powerful, that he has mundane moments and prayers and maybe even years and decades of mundane moments and prayers. And yet, Elijah, he never bought into the lies of those mundane moments and prayers. He never bought into the lies of the inglorious, like how silly do I look right now, crying out to the void, like is he even real? He never bought into these voices, these whispers, these things that came into his ears in the early mornings while he was with the Lord. Instead, he remained steadfast and faithful and pressed into those private moments, whether they were glorious or inglorious, he was there for one purpose him him and see this is what you and i got to get past this is what you and i got to grow beyond this is what you and i got to get out of consumer christianity and start being consumed by christ again i'm appreciate anybody this morning we've got to get out of going to the prayer closet so i can get a bill paid miraculously we've got to get out of going to the prayer closet so my marriage will get healed miraculously we have got to get out of the prayer closet so that god would scratch our back and we'll pray to his ears kind of christianity and we've got to begin to meet with him for less of what he promises he will do and more about who he is I'm telling you, I am telling you, we cannot put the cart before the horse here. God is faithful indefinitely. You don't have to worry about that. What you need to worry about is you being faithful indefinitely. God is going to move on your behalf. God is going to make a way. God is faithful to the end. God is able to exceedingly above all you can ask, dream, or imagine, but you will never get a revelation of that unless you are with him when none of that is in the moment. I appreciate anybody this morning. You see, so many of us, we just, we long for public displays of his power. We long for public displays of his power, but he, he is most interested in private invitations of intimacy. It's who he is. It's how he works. If you don't like it, tough luck. Apparently Baal's available. We'll get to him. We'll get to him. But Jesus doesn't work that way. He wants a relationship with you while he's restoring you. He wants a relationship with you while he's redeeming your life. He wants a relationship with you that can allow miracles to ride in on that won't corrupt you, but will consecrate you. Listen, I'm willing to say this today. God is interested in building big people 
that was steward and host and handle and foster and grow big moments with God into big movements with God. But I think what he's most concerned about is building big people that won't commit adultery to him or on him when the big moments and the big movements come. God would rather have your allegiance and your affection than have you walk in authority and anointing. You can have both, but authority and anointing cannot come before allegiance and affection. He doesn't work that way. So while you're chasing the authority and you're chasing the anointing, I'm telling you this, public authority does not come without personal hidden anointing. What is anointing? To be rubbed by him, to be smeared by him, for him to rub himself upon you. Do you see that it all begins and ends with you and him? It all begins and ends with you and him. Not you and him and everybody else watching, you and him and nobody else watching. You see, here's the real deal about Elijah shutting the heavens. Elijah shut the heavens, but what God is most impressed with, what God is most in, are the cries that nobody else heard but him. Are the prayers that nobody else heard but him. He's most in love with the tears that were shed before him and for him that nobody else seen and nobody else got the capture. I long for a church that is men of God while they are but men with God. I long for a church that is women of God but are women of God while they are women just with God. Where you're not just faithful because we give you a chance to be on platform. You're not just faithful because we're gonna do something and you're gonna run it. Where you're not just faithful because you're starting your own personal ministry and you need somebody to help get the word out. Where you're not just faithful because you're doing something with God or in God's name, but you're faithful without all of the additives, all of the aesthetics, all of the accoutrement, all of the things that are added to you. You are faithful and integrous with him, by him, with no one else but him. That's Elijah. That's Elijah. The very first thing we know about him isn't that he shut the heavens. It's that he was a man that prayed. Are you hearing me this morning? Wasn't that he shut the heavens. He was a man that prayed. I am telling you this morning, there are Elijahs that need to rise up in this hour and get serious about praying again. We cannot be prophets who are wondering what will being a prophet profit us. We cannot be sitting around concerned with what we are going to get out of this. We need to begin to get concerned again about what God can be given and what God will get out of this. We belong to him. He don't belong to you. I don't belong to me. I was bought with a price and I reckon you were too, amen? And it's out of that purchase that we become prophets. But prophets aren't prophets because they shut the heavens. Prophets are prophets because they hear God, they pray to God, they commune with God and they deliver God's word that they got from him in private into the public. I love Elijah. But here's the deal. Most of us as Christians, we have this unspoken, we have this unspoken opinion that we don't really voice, 
we don't really put into the ether. We don't really get it out there a whole lot. We don't share it with a whole lot of people because they're going to toss stones at us. But a lot of us as Christians, we, we're called to believe the word of God. We're called to believe the Bible. But most of us, at some point, I would say, in one area or another or a few, we've decided, no, actually, I don't believe the Bible on that. I believe it on salvation. I believe it on heaven. But I don't believe it on sexuality, and I don't believe it on marriage, and I don't believe it on gender, and I don't believe it on all these other freaking stupid things that are happening in the earth today. I don't believe it on these, right? I think another area that Christians often relinquish their faith and their allegiance to Scripture in is that we are under the delusion, friends. It is a delusion. And what is a delusion? It is a ploy by the enemy to fool you, to pull wool over your eyes and to take you into a place where you have a Jesus that you've built for yourself, but he is an idle wish at Jesus that can profit you nothing. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. And we've fallen under the delusion in this hour that for whatever reason, for whatever reason, we think in the Bible times, it was easier to be a Christian then than it is today. Now we don't confess that, but that's kind of how we look at scripture. We go, it's easy for Elijah. He shut the heavens. He must know God. But I just got done telling you for a long time that clearly it wasn't easy for Elijah, that he didn't just shut the heavens. He built a rapport with heaven that he could be trusted with shutting the heavens that he wouldn't commit adultery with shutting the heavens, but he would love Christ before that. But you and I, we find ourselves in this unspoken place in Christianity in 2023 where we are believing a lie, a delusion from the pits of hell that it was easier to be a Christian at some other point in history than today. And I'll give you this. The easiest time in all of history to be a Christian was probably the 1800s and the 1900s. Now we are in the 2000s and we've kind of left that behind. And yes, friends, it gets harder from here and it doesn't go back. It gets harder from here, and it doesn't go back. Our faith will actually begin to cost us things in the days and weeks and months and years and decades to come. So get ready, because we're gonna give God a good offering with our lives. I can't wait. I'm actually, I mean, I am excited to be alive today. I don't wanna be in the 1800s. Nobody wants cholera. There we go. I got you to laugh, now we're back in, okay? But those were the safest times to be a Christian and we are now leaving them. But before those times, all of our forefathers, all of our foremothers, all of the people who gave their lives, listen, they gave their lives, their limbs, their wives, their husbands, their children, their lives, their property, their possessions, everything was taken from them because they would not deny Jesus. Like Peter's wife was literally crucified in front of him. Do you understand that? This costs you something. It costs you everything. And we will enter a time and a place where it will begin to cost us again. But I'm telling you, you will know that the price is worth the admission. <laughs> because you've already met with the one in secret who can destroy body and soul. What can your enemies do to you? Sometimes I get nervous to preach, but then I go and pray. And then I realize I just stood before the one person that I actually care about.
that scares me and loves me beyond all of you. And so there's nothing that I can't say in truth to encourage, to chastise, to prune, to provoke to you and I this morning because I am not in fear of you. I have already been with him. And so Elijah is actually in a time that's not unlike yours and I. You see, this moment where he shut the heavens, where his prayer life, this all happened before he ever stood before King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. You see, there was this Queen Jezebel at the time and Jezebel absolutely sucks, okay? Jezebel is the one that we named Jezebel after, okay? Like she is the Jezebel. She's the spirit of Jezebel, like that Jesus talks about in Revelation that so many churches in our day and age have given into the spirit of Jezebel. We've allowed her to walk in our churches, serve in our churches and just carry on being a Jezebel, not looking a thing like Jesus, but because she preaches good and she sounds good and she's there, we just let her have a microphone while she's off literally being a heathen. We don't do that here, okay? No Jezebel zone, amen? We're gonna, we're gonna get a sign that says no Jezebel parking. It's gonna be awesome. But there's Jezebel, and Jezebel had the stooge of a husband named Ahab. And I'm gonna tell you this, Ahab, Ahab is a stooge. Ahab doesn't really have like, he's not really the issue at this time. Ahab's just an idiot. He has no spine. He's weak noodled in the back and he just bends to the whim of Jezebel. Like he's like, oh, she's hot. She said yes to marry me and I guess I'll let her run the kingdom that I've been entrusted with. And uh, you think Baal and Asher are out there cool, babe? Sweet, let's forget about Jesus. And that's Ahab. And so in this moment, what we see is Jezebel is actually gearing up to kill Elijah. Elijah appeared before this moment to Ahab and he said to him, listen, I've spoken to God. I have spoken to God and he said, the heavens remain shut until I say so. God said, the heavens remain shut until I say so. Friends, what are the areas, what are the doors, what are the arenas, what are the influences that God longs to trust you with, that he can put in your hands and say, actually, this remains open or this remains closed as long as you say so, because you've built a level of trust and infrastructure with him in private that he knows you can be faithful in. Could you imagine? Because this actually happened. These two, they are the worship leaders, Ahab and Jezebel, they are the worship leaders for Asheroth and Baal. Asheroth at the time, she is this... Oh, how do you say? Asheroth at the time, she was this, uh, well, surveying children, baby, we're fine, cool. She was like this temple sex goddess, right? That everyone worshiped. That in acts of worship in the temple of Asheroth, you worship her by way of sex. Sex with strangers, sex with each other, sex, it's just, it's, you know, ugh, right? Not great. So that was Asheroth. And then Baal, Baal on the other side of it was built upon child sacrifice, abortions, and bodily mutilation. So you got Asheroth, the sex goddess, and you've got Baal, the abortion, child sacrifice, and body mutilation god. And yet we sit here and we go, oh, we could never be Elijah's because Elijah lives in a world that looks, just, or looks completely different than ours. No, 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 Asheroth still exists today, we just call her LGBTQIKA minus plus. And Baal still exists today. We just call him women's health care while not being able to define what a woman is. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Tell me when I'm telling lies. 
Tell me when I'm telling lies. Asheroth, we've just labeled her as inclusivity and we have labeled Baal as women's health care while not being able to even tell you a working definition of what a woman is. It's the world we live in. Not unlike Elijah. And yet Elijah rolls up. He is called again after three and a half years. He is called again back to the face of Ahab, back to the face of Jezebel right before he is called. He is enlightened by a guy named Obadiah who's actually like a saint in the kingdom who isn't buying into Baal or Ashtaroth, but Obadiah is on the Lord's side. And he, he uh, in, uh, what are you going to call it? He meets Elijah halfway before he gets to the kingdom. And he says, hey, listen, I have actually hidden away a hundred prophets of the Lord. And Elijah's like, why, why would you have to do that? And he's like, well, Jezebel gathered up, after you shut the heavens, Jezebel gathered up the, the prophets of the Lord and slaughtered them all. But I was able to hide 50 in one cave and 50 in another. And so all of a sudden, Elijah thinks he's going into a kingdom where he would have like company, like-minded, like-spirited, like-hearted individuals around him. And what he soon finds out is that he is the sole represent, representative of the Lord. And guess what Elijah does? He goes anyways. He goes anyways because again, he's already been in front of the one who could kill body and spirit as Jesus says. He is not afraid of the prophets of Baal. He's not afraid of Jezebel, not anymore. He has left fear behind and he marches into the kingdom to stand before Ahab and plead the case of God. And so this is amazing. So Elijah, he gets there. Elijah gets there and he's like literally starts mocking them. He goes, are you just going to keep limping around? Going from faith to faith, from discussion to discussion, doctrine to doctrine to, you know, knowing that God is Lord, that Jesus is Yahweh, but then giving into your like Jezebel of a wife over here and worshiping Asheroth and Baal. Like how long, Ahab, are you going to keep going in between doctrines and beliefs and gods? How long? And Elijah, without even waiting for an answer, Elijah does what Elijah is called to do because he's been led into a holy confrontation by God. Right now, friends, you and I, we have been led into a season of holy confrontation by God. You and I, we are standing in opposition across from Asheroth and Baal, just as Elijah was in this time. Who will you and I be in this hour. You see, Elijah realized in this moment, hear me, Elijah says, he goes, listen, I understand that there are 450 prophets of Baal right now. And I know I am the lone prophet of the Lord. In this moment, Elijah realized I am outmanned, I am outgunned, and I am outarmed in the natural. But in the spiritual it was Jezebel, Ahab, and the 450 prophets of Baal that were out God. Are you hearing me this morning? Elijah may be out man, out gunned, and out armed, but it is, it is his opposition in this moment that is actually out God. I came to tell you this morning, the hour in which we live, the majority is one in God. It doesn't matter who's opposing you. The majority is one in God. It doesn't matter who's facing you, what has come against you, what has moved on your home, in your family, in your life. One in God is the majority. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. This is the reality that Elijah is depicting for you and I to walk into you and I, God, and nobody else has to matter. We have the majority. We have the rank. We have the power. We have the authority. And right now, I believe 
the one and God majority is being called to rise again in this war for the soul of the world. It's time for the bride to take back the spiritual authority that she has in the earth by being one and God over all opposing forces. I appreciate anybody this morning. But again, that one and God majority, guess what that comes off the backside of? Personal intimacy with God. You see, glory follows order. Intimacy begets ministry. And public displays of power come off the backside of private invitations and affections for Lord Jesus. This is how the kingdom works. It doesn't work any way but this. There are many altars that will try to burn. There is only one altar that God will burn upon. And we're going to get to that one in a second. But you've got to understand, you are one and the majority. You and God are the majority. That's why we can sing wholeheartedly, though none go with me, still I will follow, because it doesn't matter who comes with you. It doesn't matter who stands against you. You're still the one in majority. So because of that, you can pray prayers. You can walk into rooms that you shouldn't be in. You can go into the face of all the things that are evil in our world, all the things that are broken in our culture, all the things that are being pushed upon your children, all the things that are coming against the church in this hour. You can go into the public square and give God a voice again in the discourse and in the hope for our world. Why? Because you and God are the majority. Nothing can stand against him. Nothing can stand against him. You see, so Elijah, he, he proposes this holy confrontation. Obviously underneath God's influence. And he says, so here's what I'm going to propose. You got 450 prophets of Baal, so you can go first. I recognize I'm out man, but you don't recognize you're out God. You get a bull, I get a bull. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. We won't light it on fire and we will cry out and you can go first. We will cry out to our God. And if Baal answers with fire, then I will surrender, I will relinquish, I will bow down and I will worship Baal alongside you and I will go from being a prophet of the Lord to a prophet of Baal. But if my Lord answers by fire, well, like I said, spoiler earlier, all the prophets of Baal get theirs. It's not good. But this is the holy confrontation that Elijah has been welcomed into. But Elijah would have no power in this holy confrontation if he did not have personal intimacy with the Lord to back it up. And so in this moment, they agree. They say, this makes sense. And so the prophets of Baal, they begin to build an altar. They begin to build this thing and they put the fattened calf on there and they kill it and they slice it and they're doing all these things and like, it's all good and hey, they're doing the thing. And then it says from morning to noon, they were just limping around the altar, which I think is hilarious how, how Elijah describes this. Like there's no authority. Do you see the wording here? There's no authority. There's no power. There's no might. There's no certainty. They're limping, just like defeated. From morning to noon, they are going around this going, I thought we had something with this bail guy. I thought we had something. 
And they're confounded. They're dumbfounded. They're sitting here going, what in the world is happening? Why is he not answering us? Oh, Baal, answer us. They cry, cry, cry. And so Elijah, like the man of God he is, he begins to make fun of the opposition, which I love. And he literally starts saying to them, oh, is he asleep? Is he awake? I'm sure if you keep doing what you're doing, he'll quit relieving himself. He'll come back from his potty break of being God and he'll come and burn upon your altar. I'm sure if you just keep shouting into the void, your false mythological God that you somehow stupidly believe because some Jezebel told you to, like he'll eventually show up and realize that you are worthy of his attention. Keep going. And so Elijah gives him like another five to six hours. And it says, all of a sudden the hours come, they grow dim. And they're literally, they move on from just the altar. They move on from the original rules of engagement. And they begin to do what so many of our day and age do in order to gain favor with what they worship. Are you hearing me? What so many in our day and hour move on to do to gain favor with those that they worship, they begin to mutilate their bodies upon the altar. And it says they turn their swords and their lances inward. And the Bible describes it like Elijah goes, dude, they are literally gushing with blood. This is intense. This is how much they were willing to go to the lengths of their delusion, of their depravity, of what they have sold their soul to. They have been so duped by Jezebel that they are willing to kill themselves upon an altar to something that is not real, that is not hearing them, that will not answer them. And then there's Elijah. And so Elijah watches this whole thing play out. He's like, all right, now's the moment. And what Elijah does is he says, hey, all of you onlookers, all of you guys that aren't associated with the prophets of Baal, you want to give the Lord a chance? You want to see what the Lord will do? Come here, come here, come here, come here. Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to grab these old stones. I'm going to grab this old altar. I'm going to focus on that in a second. And he goes, what I need you to do is take these buckets, get these pails, and go get me some water. Go get me some water. And so what uh, Elijah ends up doing in this moment is he says, he grabs the broken pieces of the altar of the Lord that was thrown down. Well, if you don't know, Ahab took rule after King David. Like not the next one, but like two down. He was in the same line. He's in the same place. Do you see this? And so there was an altar for the Lord already established. At one point, Jesus was king. At one point, our God was the ruler of these people. But then Jezebel and all the stuff that happened. And so there is an altar already built for the Lord that he once previously moved upon. Hear me today that Elijah was instructed by God to build again. And this is where we're gonna end this morning. This is amazing. Because right now, I believe you and I, we too are being called again to pick up the broken pieces of the altar of the Lord in our generation and build again the altar of the Lord that previous generations have thrown down, that previous generations have abdicated, that previous generations have forfeited the power and the might of it. What is that altar that you ask? It is the altar of prayer. It is the altar of prayer where we have traded personal intimacy for $5,000, $20,000, $50,000, $100,000 LED screens. Smoke machines that have flavor in them. Light shows that put electric forest to shame as if electric forest isn't shameful enough. We have traded personal intimacy for public production. 
And we thought if we got enough people in the room off of what we offered them, that somehow we would garner the attention of heaven. And that's simply, friends, not how he works. And so at one point when we had prayer meetings and we had different services and the church was the meeting place, the church actually had Christians that longed to be in church, that longed to gather together. They didn't buy into deconstruction culture. They didn't buy into their own lives. They weren't so consumed with seeing the rest of the world that they missed out on seeing God. That they were so consumed, friends, with what the church offered them, this ministry, that ministry, youth ministry. Well, if the church doesn't have a youth ministry, I know we're called, but we can't stay because our kids kids need something. No, your kids need Jesus. So how about you stay somewhere long enough as a living stone to see something built for them? Better yet, stay long enough as a living stone to see something built by them. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I am so sick and tired of consumer Christianity because we've thrown down the altar of God in its place. We have built and established churches that look like us, sound like us, act like us, look more like us, and it's all about us. And Jesus is just standing at the door and going, I can't even get in here. All of a sudden, Jesus and his glory isn't welcomed in our social club. Because he doesn't do the lights. In fact, what Jesus does is he kills the lights kills the fog machines. He makes services really long and that's exactly where we're going in the days and weeks and years to come because what Jesus is interested in is separating the lovers of Jesus and the likers of Jesus. Jesus will stretch out services and take away everything that you and I long for but his glory will come and the lovers of God will stay in love and bask in his glory and the likers of God, the in like with God, the Jesus self-help coach part of God they will be shaken away, they will be stripped away, and they will find themselves at the next greatest and latest church planning operation that offers you everything but feeds you nothing. This is where we're going. And I make no apologies about it. Worship people can make a way up here. I make no apologies about it because listen, friends, this altar, this altar is worth giving your lives for. It's worthy of everything you can do to begin to build the altar of old again. There is an altar of old, fam, that God actually moves upon. But it can't be an altar for show. It has to be an altar for sacrifice. Are you hearing me? It can't be an altar for show. It has to be an altar for sacrifice. There is one altar that God builds upon, and it's the one he designed. And then there's every other altar. There's every other lover. There's every other affection. There's every other institution. There's every other uh, organization and organism. And then there is the altar that God designed and he's made a promise to. I will burn here. And it won't be about you. And it won't be about them. It'll be all about him. And like moths to the flame, he has, he has placed eternity in the heart of man. And he will flame and he will show and he will burn a blaze and brazen flame for all those with eternity in their heart to see and go, I have to go there. Because what happens when you and I begin to build again the altar of the Lord? It's not a new thing, it's an old thing. It's not a fancy thing. It's a rigid hand tools 
and saturated with tears thing. See, the gift of tears still moves God and we've got to be interested in moving God. We can't just sing beautifully and prophetically. Tell us what moves you and not dig into the recesses of church history, into the Bible, into the people who have given their lives and limbs and wives and husbands and and their life to build an altar for the Lord and look at what did their altar, what did their altar consist of that our altar has gone without? Because they had the heart of God. They had the presence of God. See, the presence isn't just this superficial, ethereal thing that super spiritual people just talk about all the time. The presence of God is His person. It's His power, it's His fire, it's the reality, it's Him. He moves in a room when the altar was set for Him, but it was set based off the design He had for those people. And so what does Elijah do? He, he builds the altar, friends. But it wasn't in his image and likeness. It wasn't based off his preference. It wasn't based off how he knew to be intimate with the Lord. It wasn't based upon anything that he brought with him until that moment. It was based on what God already supplied, the design for the altar of the Lord. Would you stand? And so what happens in this moment is Elijah, following the word of the Lord, he begins to pick up the bricks and pick up the stones and the broken pieces and he puts them back into place according to the temple of Solomon, the tabernacle of David. He begins to put it back into its place where it belongs and he digs a trench and they place the burnt offerings, they place the wood, they place the smokestacks, they place all the stuff and they're getting ready. They're not going to light it. In fact, they're going to do the exact opposite of lighting it on fire. They drench the altar with water. They wet the altar. We are in a time and place where we are giving ourselves, Father, set fire upon the earth the way you long to. And he's going, I long to set fire upon the earth, but first, wet my altar. Wet my altar. Wet my altar wet my altar because what happens is this all of a sudden these onlookers who weren't prophets of the Lord but led there by Elijah he follows God's instructions he follows God's design he follows God's ways right now we got a lot of lover of God's but haters of his ways the two are not mutually exclusive he is the package deal you want to be you want to receive love from him learn to love him as he is watch how free you'll be free of your opinions it's gonna be awesome for you but Elijah he stacks the bricks they pour the water and they're like is this enough he knows go no go get another one go get another one go fetch me another pail and so he brings the second one and it's pretty wet he's pretty wet the onlookers are like it looks good. Like, I don't know how we're going to light this thing on fire. Elijah goes, we're not. Go get more water. Go wet it again. And it's just this most insane, unreasonable, it makes no sense in the natural, but our God has made his name off of confounding the wise, hasn't he? 
And so why it may look unsensical and nonsensical to you and I, it makes perfect sense to him. So therefore, there's something we're missing. It's wedding the altar. And I'm telling you, friends, it is the wedding of the altar in our generation, the gift of tears, bringing our tears to God, bringing our weeps, bringing our cries, bringing our wails, bringing our ugly crying faces, the things that aren't pretty, the things that you don't put on Instagram for clicks, the things you don't want to share in public, but you have to in the temple. You have to in your private. You have to in this place because this is the safest place for the groanings on the inside of you because your depths will be traded for his depths. And when his depths come, what we see is Elijah moves out the way and he says, God, hear me today. We have built for you an altar by you, in you, and for you, and none beside you. So show that I, your servant, have been faithful to your word. Father, would you come? It set fire upon the altar and it says, fire fell from the heavens and it consumed everything on the altar. It consumed the offering, the bull, the wood it was placed on, the bricks around it. And it says it licks up the wet, it licks up the water, it licks up the tears. It consumes the very thing that in the natural would stifle the flame, but in God is the very thing the flame burns upon. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. And so right now, we're going to do exactly what Scripture says to do. Feel free to kill these lights above. What we're going to do, church, is I'm going to give you an opportunity, myself an opportunity. Even if, even if you don't join me, I'm going to make a runway for myself to wet the altar. But I hope that you'll join me. I hope that you all join me in on this moment where I just get to come and weep at the altar before the Lord because I want him here. I want his fire to fall, his presence to come, and I want to see the onlookers around like the onlookers to Elijah to go, oh my gosh, he is God. Because what happened is when the fire fell, everyone around stepped back and they said, the Lord is Yahweh. The Lord is Yahweh. The Lord is God. We've been fooled. We've bought into the lies. We've bought into our history. We've bought into our families. We've bought into the narrative set before us by leaders and culture. But when the fire of God falls on the altar of God around the people of God, everyone around them will stand in awe, in wonder, and they will look upon the Lord and they will declare, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. So right now, I'm just going to welcome you forward. I'm going to pray, but the worship team's going to sing. I'm going to welcome you forward. Come wet the altar. Come wet the altar. Come wet the altar the only way we know how. Come wet the altar the way the Lord is calling us to, that we're going to build an altar for Him the way He says we are called to, and we are going to see His presence fall in an even mightier way today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives here as we give Him an offering called Takeover Church, as we give Him an offering called Your Name, Your Children's Name, Your Grand children's name and all the legacy that will come from you until Jesus returns this is the goal we're not interested in big moments we're interested in becoming big people that can foster and host 
and steward and grow big moments with God into big movements with God. And this moment right here, may it be the genesis. May it be the inception. May this be the beginning moment of your legacy, your family becoming Holy Spirit heavyweights, that they are intimate with God because of you being intimate with God. There are men in here, you will have grandsons and great-grandsons and great-great-great-grandsons who may never ever hear your name given because the world they live in, but they will have an intimacy with God because of how marked your life was there are women there are women who will have women come from them daughters granddaughters great granddaughters great 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 granddaughters and they won't buy into the lie of third wave feminism they won't burn for the prophecies of killing manliness and patriarchy but instead they will burn for the Lord and the Lord alone and all of a sudden, when you get to heaven and you meet them when they come, they will say, thank you for wetting the altar. Thank you for taking the word of God seriously. Thank you for answering the call on your life to wet the altar so that God could come to West Michigan. And I had a chance. I had a chance to meet him. And when he called my name, I came running out of my grave, out of my sex identity, out of all the things that have withheld me out of drug addiction and alcohol. I came running when he called my name. But the only reason I knew what he sounded like was because you spent your life wedding the altar for him to come here we go here we go here we go father God would you come father would you come in this moment God we are burning for you we're gonna wet the altar right now Lord God give us the gift of tears right now Lord we lay down our lives we raise we lay down our wants our desires our our uh, we lay down our reservations, God. Whether that's reservations in what I'm saying right now or reservations at Chili's after this, God. We lay down assignments. We lay down obligations. We lay down t-ball practices and soccer. And we lay down all of these things, desires for different ministries so that the church can meet our needs instead of us meet the needs of the one who sits above the church. God, we lay it all down. And we wet the altar right now, Lord. We wet the altar right now, Lord. We wet the altar right now, Lord. Jesus, would you come? Jesus, would you blow? Jesus, would you rule and reign in this room? Holy Spirit, come like a mighty wind of God in this moment and send the fire upon the wedded altar for you. We long for you and you alone. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will satisfy. There is one that is worthy of our affections, worthy of our lives, and worthy of our tears. And his name is King Jesus. Come, God, come, God, come, God. Take us there, worship team, and let's give him the altar of tears. Amen. To set a fire.